0: Welcome everybody. Today's show is about the Amazon retail platform and how D2C retailers should be thinking about it. Now to help me discuss this topic is Mark Mahaney. Mark is the managing director covering the internet sector at RBC Capital Markets and he has actually been covering internet stocks since 1998, which I love because my first company was at 1996 in the internet space. So we have a lot in common there. Mark, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me on, Alison.
0: So tell us a little bit more about the big pillars of Amazon. This was something that I saw at your eTail presentation. Can you start us off there about how Amazon generally is structured?
1: Yeah, uh, you could say that there are three or four parts to Amazon. It's the first-party retail that we all know and love. There's the third-party marketplace, which is, for most consumers, almost indistinguishable versus the first-party marketplace. Then there's this massive cloud business they've got, Amazon Web Services. The fourth business would probably be AMS, Amazon Marketing Solutions, or Amazon Marketing Services, which is really their advertising business. And I'm going to go with the fifth category, too, which is their grab bag of other products and services, things like video and music streaming, also Kindle hardware devices also these Alexa devices. So it's become one of the most successful in terms of market cap, but one of the broadest consumer technology names out there. I mean, there may be three or four worldwide that are as present as uh, Amazon and have as many customer touch points as Amazon, and it does it across these multiple businesses.
0: So obviously, if I'm a retailer and I'm looking for how to get my products out there, Amazon represents either an incredible threat or an incredible opportunity. Is there a way that retailers should be thinking about Amazon?
1: Well, it's a very large marketplace. They don't disclose the number of active customers. The last time they did was probably five or six years ago when the number was around 300 million. That's 300 million people who had purchased from them at least one time in a prior 12 months. And our guess is that that number is now probably well north of 400 million. So it's a very large customer base it's an enormous amount of volume if you can successfully gain entrance into the Amazon marketplace so that makes it valuable in and of itself conversations we've had with third party sellers over time have generally been pretty impressed with the level of amazon customers the usually the customer service requests are lower than what you can, that you, when you what you would find on other platforms like ebay so they actually may be less expensive customers to acquire and to maintain and uh, you can also outsource a fair amount of your fulfillment market. Marketing and shipping to Amazon, so. In a way, it can be an all-in-one customer platform for you. The one underlying, and maybe it's the big underlying risk, has always been that Amazon also sells directly in many, many of these verticals. And there's the risk that if you're dramatically successful on Amazon, that Amazon may look to directly compete with you, and there's nothing to stop them from doing that. Mm
0: -hmm, Exactly. I mean, Barnes & Noble being a great case study in that space. And and then we seem to have other companies, maybe Macy's, Costco, Blue Ape, and other fast moving consumer goods that seem to be feeling the pressure in the Amazon space does that comprehensiveness of their platform does that make them well suited for niche players but maybe not well suited for mass marketing companies?
1: Uh, I think absolutely Allison, I think you know this just as well or better than I do If you want to succeed on Amazon, you need a really differentiated product service experience if you're just competing on price and even on selection. Amazon is probably going to be able to do better than you. They've got the scale and the customer base to be able to go straight to vendors and probably get better terms than just about anybody except for Walmart.
0: That makes sense. Now, I think in your presentation, you said something about Amazon Prime penetration was really huge. It was about 55%. And Prime, of course, is the Amazon loyalty machine. So if I'm a retailer and I've got individual products and I'm making my way with something that's fairly unique... Is it problematic for me to try to create my own loyalty program, or should I just always be selling through Amazon? Is there a, a strategic play here when Amazon has such a strong loyalty program?
1: So let's think through those prime customer numbers. Yeah, in survey work we've done over the last five years, we've seen a growing penetration of prime customers worldwide Amazon did disclose recently that their number of prime customers, somewhere in that hundred million range in North America, it's probably 50 to 60 million. That's not disclosed, but that's a reasonable guess. Could be off by a couple million up or down, but that's a reasonable guess. And those uh, customers generally are bigger spenders. We do know based on our own survey work over the years that they shop more frequently with Amazon, they spend more on Amazon, and they generally have higher customer satisfaction scores. I mean, this is kind of a self-selection. So anyway, that's a great customer base to try to get at. Do you want to try to surf off that, drift off that, or do you want to develop your own customer loyalty program? I don't know that you have to choose between one or the other. I would imagine generating your own would be a lot better. It depends on the individual businesses and their unit economics. So it's a great pool of customers to tap into, the prime customer base. And Amazon now is offering more ways to do that. One of the things that's come up now is some of these kind of sponsored product listings. Now, they've actually become pretty broadly distributed across Amazon's platform. They've almost become a necessary rent to compete in the Amazon marketplace. There's good and bad to that.
0: So in order to get your product seen because it's so vast and I've got to pay rent to get the traffic to my products in order to get them seen and found.
1: Yeah, I think about it this way. Like, if you're a retailer looking to sell online, you've got a good number of options as to how you market and then fulfill products to customers. Amazon is one option. It's one of the faster-growing marketplaces. It's certainly growing faster than eBay. I think Walmart now is in that same business, and you'd run the same sort of risk of being disintermediated if you were to sell on that platform. You can also work via Google directly or through a marketplace that they are loosely confederating, maybe. So there are options out there. It does seem like the company that has the most developed range of options for selling your products online uh, that you can outsource almost all of the customer experience to, it seems that that company is Amazon, but that may not hold in the future.
0: Well, and one thing that's really interesting, at least to us, is on the AWS, on the services side, you've got these new customer experience tools that are rolling out alongside different algorithmic uh, analysis tools. So it's really interesting that on the marketplace, you have a disintermediation. But on the AWS side, you have a lot of tools designed to help you get closer to your
1: customers.
0: Do you think those two will come together at all?
1: That's a really interesting idea. Um, I'm not sure that Amazon yet has been able to do that. But with AWS, they have an enormous amount of ability in their uh, implementing it to provide machine learning skills, machine learning tools, and artificial intelligence tools to customers. If they can set that up in a really nice self-service format to help retailers that are selling on the Amazon marketplace and to better mine their own customer data – to figure out which customers are best to target, which products are best to promote, which products are best to not promote. Uh, I would imagine that there's an enormous amount of intelligence, retail and customer intelligence that Amazon could provide to third-party merchants on its marketplace. I would imagine that Amazon would do that too. So I think that's an, a very intriguing idea, Elson, that you laid out. But I think that's still early stage on Amazon. But I think that's more of the kit that Amazon can provide to third-party vendors on Amazon.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that aligns very well with what the company is talking about. It's always been an industry for customer centricity, um, you know, the world's most customer-centric company. We oftentimes assume that that means just that they are fully customer-obsessed, which is true. But I think if you look at the AWS strategy, you end up with so much more behind that. And I think that's what keeps them ahead of Walmart and eBay, but I'm not sure that that's what keeps them ahead of an international company like Alibaba, who has also said that customers number one, investors are number three, and employees sit in the middle at number two. Do you think if I were a retailer and trying to look at a global strategy, would Alibaba be a stronger play than Amazon?
1: It's an interesting question. I don't think we would have even debated this 10 years ago. Five years ago, we would have started to, and now we really can debate that. Alibaba's presence, that's a very small part of their overall business. Alibaba's commerce in China itself is dramatically larger than its presence outside of China but that is changing. It, so it depends. We'd have to go market by market on it. I think in Western Europe, in parts of Latin America, and then in parts of Asia like India, the Amazon marketplace is still going to be dramatically more robust than Alibaba. Whether that could change over time, absolutely that could change over time. I don't think there's clear evidence that, that that's where the puck is going, but it's possible.
0: You know, that makes a lot of sense what you're saying about Alibaba internationally versus Amazon. I was surprised with one of the retailers we were talking to recently that they were seeing so much international growth come from Russia as in terms of their U.S. market was flat and they were starting to grow through Russia, which makes sense if you're going to look at the Alibaba angle. So it sounds like for the average retailer, Amazon still remains the the first place to look and Alibaba is maybe something to keep an eye on as the U.S. market might flatten. Or do you think that it's moving so quickly in China internationally at least for a china strategy you need both
1: uh, for a china strategy you could probably rely solely on alibaba
0: yes you probably could now one of the things that you talked about in and i'm not sure if i can say this correctly but in the e-tail presentation you talked about the physicalization not even sure if that's a word of the internet uh, could you talk a little bit about what that means in relation to the amazon stores
1: yeah physicalization of the internet uh, it's funny. I remember talking to Jeff Bezos you know, in 2000, something like that, and asking him once a real dumb question. Would you ever consider opening up physical stores? And I got one of his trademark belly roll laughs in response to what I guess was a really stupid question at the time. Uh, and I think I would have probably still gotten that belly roll laugh 10 years ago, five years ago. I think the more thoughtful response that he would have given to the question would have been something like, if there's a way we could solve a pain point or create a physical retail experience that solved a problem or was just materially better than what existed out there, if there was an Amazonian advantage to that physical store, then we'd consider it. And I think they're there now with these ghost stores. Now, there are, I don't know, a dozen of these out now. So they are chump change. They're tiny there are two here in San Francisco. Actually, there may be more now, but there are two here, one just a few blocks away from our office. And I think they have solved something. I think they have helped solve time. It's the one thing we all want more of. And they've solved it, and it sounds cliched, but they solve it by, if anybody's gone to one, one of these stores, the ability to just walk in and walk out super quick. There's no checkout. And, uh, you know, you just scan the app, pick what you want, walk out. You can get $10 worth of products in 30 seconds, depending how nimble you are when you're in the store. So I I think they've really solved something using uh, cameras that track exactly where you are in the store, track your movements to figure out what you picked up off the shelves, what you may have put back on the shelves. I don't know if anybody successfully has shoplifted from the stores. It would be interesting to find out. But it's a really interesting, innovative retail experience. Now, how broad is that retail experience There's increasing broad range of products that are in these stores today. And uh, yeah, if you think about where this could go 10 years from now, you think about the amount of time when you're in your average grocery store and the amount of time you spend in that store in the checkout line. But that'd be a great little statistic. Somebody must have studied this. And uh, I'm just going to throw out a guess that it's anywhere between 10 and 25 percent of your time spent in the store is checking out. And what if somebody said you no longer needed to check out? But the Go technology is not yet there. It only works with barcoded items. So those stacks of asparagus, or I don't know how they would handle the, uh, the salmon that you get from the deli, you know, things like that. There's a lot of stuff that'd be very hard to figure out. But just the idea of where that could go in the future, I think that's very interesting. Anyway, so that's what I was struck by when I think about the physicalization of the internet. I mean, these pure plays no longer really exists. Almost all of these digital companies that began digitally are trying to build up some sort of physical presence to better connect with customers, to offer more solutions. And if they can do it in a way that's truly innovative, and I think these ghost stores are truly innovative, how scalable they are remains to be seen, how category-broadening they are remains to be seen. But I'm going to go long on both of those concepts and ideas. And that's what I find very interesting coming out of Amazon today.
0: I also think that's interesting. And I also think it's interesting that they start with something that I think is a little bit more difficult, like stores that are grocery stores, as opposed to maybe a drugstore where everything is barcoded. And then it also makes me wonder how how far can you stretch that? Just like you were saying a minute ago, how broad can you take that store? Um, Up here in Oregon, we have Fred Meyers, which is a competitor to Target and Walmart or at least the superstores, where you have groceries on one side and then you have product on the other side, including clothes and things that might not be as commoditized, furniture. And I wonder if the Go store could be as broad as that. It seems like it doesn't really have a limit.
1: Yeah, I think that's how we should think about it. The trick is everything that's in those ghost stores now is barcodable. These were great in urban environments. I'm not sure how useful they are in suburban environments, but the basic point about removing a pain point, and there is clearly a pain point in checkout wait times, and maybe you don't think about it when you get so used to the Amazon Go store, but you think about it the next time you're in that grocery store or in that convenience store or in that pharmacy And you're waiting in line to check out and all of a sudden you realize if there's a better solution than I've experienced one, that was the Amazon Go store, why am I doing this? That's your aha moment.
0: Mm -hmm. We oftentimes think about customer equity. And on this show, we're always looking at how can I calculate or how can I get better customers, long term, higher quality customers. And Amazon is such a great example of that. They, as you've mentioned, they're attracting high quality customers through Prime. They've really got it dialed in on a loyalty program. They've built a fairly large moat. But when it comes to the retailer that's selling on the Amazon marketplaces, the amount of customer data coming through is very limited. Do you think a retailer should just take it for granted? Hey, I'm getting great services. I'm getting shipping services. I'm getting distribution. I'm getting all of this, all these great advantages, even though I don't get a lot of customer information. Are all those distribution advantages worth the lack of customer information?
1: I don't know. I think that's a very hard thing to answer as a general rule. I just like the fact, Alison, you just pointed out the big trade-off. For each individual retailer, I don't know that there's a universal answer to that for retailers. But I would make the point that the companies that do best on Amazon are those that are more specialty-oriented. They're creating something that's truly differentiated product, probably not the retailer's who are succeeding on Amazon to date because they just happen to have a very good supply of inexpensive or very inexpensive supplier products. If it's just cost that you're competing with, I don't think that's a long-term sustainable strategy in Amazon's marketplace.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And it, it kind of gets back to what you were just talking about with the go stores, not just the presence of the product that's in there, but it also gets into where should those stores be located. So if we look at Bonobos and their strategy, they took their best customer and decided to open the stores in reverse. You know, instead of using demographic information, they mined the customer equity and decided, okay, we're going to open a store here because this is where our best customers are. Not necessarily this is where the highest dollar for demographic is. And I think you could do the same strategy with Amazon. So if I'm a retailer today, maybe the strategy going forward is thinking about Amazon as a A holistic platform for my business while also running my own pieces on the side. But boy, the costs add up on the retail side when you do it yourself and you have to organize your shipping and your stores and everything else. Perhaps we're seeing the 50-50 mark between 50% of my strategy should be on Amazon and 50% should be alone. Maybe in the future, it moves towards more of a 75-25 or even 100%. Is there anything else about Amazon you think is being underestimated?
1: Oh, yes. One last thing, which is, you know, of all the different areas, uh, we haven't really talked so much about the Alexa ecosystem. And they started launching these Alexa devices a few years ago. And there's over 100 million of these devices that are installed. Once you get to 100 million, you create something called the platform. 10 million is interesting. 50 million is intriguing. 100 million is a platform, something like that. And what they have done is I think they've created these devices in the home that it takes a while because you're talking about changing human behavior. But it could impact how people shop and the extent to which people would spin around in a kitchen and say, Alexa, order more peanut butter. Like for uh, replenishment shopping, where um, as a family or as an individual, you have a real attachment to a brand, whether it's diapers, peanut butter or cereals, then you're not shopping based on selection. You're shopping based on price and convenience only. Then these Alexa devices could really have an impact. So just as we're talking now about how people kind of use sponsored product ads, sponsored listings ads to pitch against each other or to you know, jockey against each other for placement on the Amazon website or on the Amazon app, I just wonder if there isn't going to be an opportunity for retailers to jockey against each other for placement within the Amazon Alexa ecosystem now that it's become a large enough of an ecosystem to warrant being called a platform. I'm very intrigued by that. This may be, still be five to 10 years away from really being a material shopping channel But voice shopping within the home, I think that that's going to be a material part of overall shopping spend, just given the ease of use and given the naturalness of it, the idea that you just turn around and say, oh, damn, we're out of Jiffy. Um, Alexa, order more Jiffy. And it'll say, you last ordered three jars of Jiffy, 12 ounce for $12.58. Would you like us to reorder? Like that speed, that ability to tap into compulsive but regular shopping. I think that could be a real game changer the next five to 10 years.
0: That's a fascinating point. It's almost like micro shopping. You know, instead of just going for one haul a week, I can micro shop little pieces as I need them.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Well, Mark, this has been really great. So thank you for all of your comments. Oh, thank
1: you, Allison. It was nice chatting with you.
0: Yeah. And I appreciate having you on the show. Remember, everyone, when you use your data effectively, you can build customer equity. This is not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. Thank you for joining today's show. This is your host, Allison Hartzell, and I have two gifts for you. First, I've written a guide for the customer-centric CMO which contains some of the best ideas from this podcast, and you can receive it right now. Simply text ambition data, one word, to 31996. And after you get that white paper, you'll have the option for the second gift, which is to receive the signal Once a month, I put together a list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are making amazing progress as they build customer equity. I hope you enjoy the CMO guide and the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.